Hello and welcome to the Modern Nutrition Podcast. The Modern Nutrition Podcast is all about education today. We interview illustrious guests about what education means to them now and all about their experiences of education up until this point. This episode is sponsored by our long-term partner, the Smartwash Car Wash, London, Essex and Kent's leading car wash valet and detailing specialist. Today's interview is with Dr. Olatukumbo Samwo. Dr. Samwo graduated in medicine from King's College London in 2012 and has since gone on to complete two master's degrees, one in child and adolescent mental health and one in medical education. Whilst working as a junior doctor, Dr. Samwo also pioneered a peer-to-peer support program aimed at improving the mental well-being of her colleagues, a program that has since inspired adaptations across the country. We speak to Dr. Samwo about her experiences at medical school, what she's learned as a junior doctor, and the advice she'd give to young people studying today. Enjoy the podcast. So, first things first, what inspired Dr. Samwo to become a doctor? It's actually quite a funny story because um, I had never really thought about um, medicine kind of in the way that, you know, I didn't know I wanted to be a doctor from the age of 10. And like lots of people, I had thought about lots of different careers. Um, I really loved maths. So I was like, maybe I'll go and do that. And then actually, funnily, um, one of my sisters... um, can't remember I think she either hurt herself or did something when she was at school and I came home and I was like oh you know maybe you need to go and get this checked because I must have looked at something and then um it was my mum who was kind of like have you actually ever considered medicine and it was I think I was 17 at the time then kind of looked into it and actually found it was what I wanted to do. Dr Samuel of course found her way into medical school what was it like? Universities have a hands-off approach. Did you feel properly supported? Lots of freedom. There yeah. <laughs> is the first thing. I mean, no one's there to tell you when to get out of bed and where to go and what time to go to bed, all of that stuff. But, you know, pretty quickly you realise you have to get yourself into lectures, um, especially in medicine. Um, and I guess because... Obviously, I went. To, I was um, at uni before pandemic, so we online lectures weren't a thing at all. If you missed the lectures, that was it basically. Um, but no, I really enjoyed it. But it is a, it is a big kind of culture shock, and it is a difference, and um, because you are responsible for yourself, and I think especially for as um, as I did going straight from sixth form to university, it is interesting though because. I mean, I guess maybe because of the size of my uni as well, you know, you didn't always, there wasn't maybe as much kind of checking in, as you said, because it was very hands-off. But I know that over the last few years with the increase in awareness of mental health, like student support is now being seen as like a really big area. And I think unis are really trying to you know, support students. And next, Dr. Samuel talks about her foundation years. These are two years after medical school where doctors have their first job as a doctor. So what were these like for Dr. Samuel? So F1, positive money, because you actually have your salary. So, you know, that was good. And I think so people often talk about um, different tactics, if if you are, um, for their foundation years. So some people or there was this whole thing about doing one year out, one year in. So kind of out, like, out of like a major city um, and then your second year in a major city. Some people do it the other way around. Some people chose 
you know, somewhere completely far. Um, I stayed within South Thames, but I did one year out and then one year back in London. And F1, I, I really enjoyed it, but I think there were several things that made it great. Yeah. So there were quite a few of us from Kings who all were in the same place for F1. Mm-hmm. So it was already like you weren't starting completely brand new. You at least knew a few people. Um, because it was so far away, all of, from London, all of the F1s all lived together in like um, two blocks. So again, you've kind of got your community there. Um, I got to do paediatrics, which is obviously the specialty I'm in now. So that was fab. And it, yeah, that was that was really good. And then I think the thing, the other reason why I think F1 was really good was actually I had been in that trust as a medical student and there's a real difference as to how they viewed us compared to other places I had been in. So in this trust, you were very much viewed as the student doctors. You walked into the emergency department and they were like, oh, great. We've got some student doctors. Do you guys want to go and clap the patient? Yeah. So you didn't feel in the way. You actually felt like yeah. you were working and learning. And so that was F1. Um, so yeah, I, F1 generally was was pretty good. Um, F2, for me personally, it was a slightly tricky year. But I think part of that was the rotations I had. So two of the rotations I had were not things I necessarily wanted to do. And I think that was partly just because I knew I wanted to do paediatrics. It's tricky because I, I mean, I've always loved working with kids. Um, and my first F1 job was in paediatrics. And it just, there's something about the medicine, but also the people who were in the team as well. And it was very much like, okay, yes, this is, these are my kind of people. Yeah. Um, as much as I maybe didn't enjoy F2, it definitely made me a better clinician because, um, I did acute medicine in a very, very busy district general hospital. And so you have to get good at clerking and making plans and working quickly. So I learned a lot about like prioritization and all things like that, but it just wasn't the specialty I necessarily wanted to be doing. So. And given her experience in medical school and as a junior doctor, what advice would she give to sick formers, many of whom are interested in medicine or feel a pressure to take it? I would say know your reasons and actually really think about it because it is a great job and I love what I do but I think there's no um it's it's quite clear that obviously the NHS is in a bit of a tricky spot at the moment and I think that is also reflected in kind of the cases we see and what our working life is like Mm -hmm. at the moment um, it's not a bed of roses. I mean, it never really has been. <laughs> Even more recently, it, it feels quite hard. So I would say it's amazing for people to want to do it, but to actually understand mm-hmm. what it is they're getting themselves in for mm-hmm. and to kind of know why they want to do it. And having worked with hundreds, if not thousands of patients, what does she wish people knew about how the mental health system works? What people need to know is that there are lots of support before you even get to CAMS. And that was the bit that I was like, why do we not know this? Why do we not know that all of these charities and all of these groups and all the mental health teams in schools can actually look after people so that 
it always kind of made me realize that that's where like we need to think okay if people aren't as severe as you know meeting that threshold that there is still help and yeah that was a is a really important thing and actually that's probably the other important thing I learned or in CAMS although we know this in pediatrics anyway that it's thinking about the system around a person because most things don't happen in isolation like he said someone who's struggling you know you can't really say to someone do better yeah. if actually part of why they're struggling is you know they are sharing a bedroom with three siblings and they are having to work part-time job and all these other things so just kind of having that kind of I guess psychosocial view as well. So how did Dr Samuo come up with the peer-to-peer support program and what did that program look like? I mean it was it was really interesting how it came about because essentially um, myself and a couple of friends we were first year registrars so that's doctors maybe four or five years after graduation and um, so you're kind of stepping up to being in charge like out of hours and stuff but you know still a trainee and we were finding that we were having lots of corridor conversations about either cases that maybe we found tricky or kind of managerial stuff we were having to learn and um there were a number of very kind of sad slash um difficult experiences which we were aware of within like people who were struggling like within our our cohorts Mm -hmm. and at our level and at consultant level there was very much a view that something needs to be done to kind of support um support us all and that's kind of where it came from so um it's called holding hands um and it was set up as said with myself and two colleagues um another registrar and a consultant neonatologist and the idea was that we would all kind of support each other so as you said we did have this space um I think it was once a month we used to do it we did try for it to be bleep free as much as possible but when people are holding emergency bleeps it was quite tricky although we did have consultants who actually took the bleeps from us which was amazing um and so we would always start the session by um everyone having to talk about one really good non-clinical thing that they had done and so we learned loads like someone had just like run a marathon in Paris (laughs) and like all of this really cool stuff which you know you don't really often get time to like learn about or hear about and then we would sometimes um we would ask people in advance you know is there anything you guys want to talk about something you want to raise anonymously um and if there wasn't then we would kind of come up with something because we found by doing this lots of people would come and have chats for us and be like you know can I just run this by you or tell you about this and sometimes we would say this would be really good to discuss would you be happy for us to do that so um we sometimes discussed like difficult interactions um exam failure because Unfortunately, exams don't finish once you leave university. You just have the joy of doing exams while you're working. And so we spoke about that. We spoke about mistakes. And so like lots of stuff. And we tried to come up with like um, kind of actual points as needed. But then if it seemed that things were a bit too much for myself and my colleague to handle, we would talk to the consultant and we um, 
knew we were able to signpost people to like the local mental health resources as well. Um, so that was one side. Then the other bit was um, called ethics. So it was encouraging, praising colleagues. And with that, basically, we had said that so much in the NHS, we just hear about all the things that go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but often when people are praising other people, the person that's being praised is not usually there or they don't usually hear about it. So we started this thing where basically people could either email or kind of write a note saying, I'd like to nominate this person for an ethic because of whatever they did. And that could be something clinical or non-clinical. And everyone got a certificate and then someone would be made star of the month as well. Um, So yeah, we did that for a few years. um, And there was lots of interest from different places to like kind of um, incorporate it in their unit. And some places have done so. And what's really good is they've adapted it to their unit. So this, our format works for us um, because, you know, know, as paediatricians, generally, if you're in a district general, you all work on one ward. You are all in a kind of close space together. But um, I know A&E adapted it for their unit and other stuff. Um, We did start it briefly in this department, actually, um more the holding hands side so the actual peer support side rather than ethic um but yeah i think because we've all kind of moved to different places um we haven't carried it on in the same format but um we've tried to take bits of it with us where we've gone and finally based on her education her experiences at work and in running this program what advice would she give to young people about looking after their mental well-being I'd probably say to start with the basics, that as boring as it sounds, sleeping well, eating well, being active. (laughs) Like, start with those as the absolute basics because it's amazing just how many people basically don't sleep enough, (laughs) don't do it, don't move enough, and then don't eat foods that make them feel good. And I know that's not always in people's control, but I think starting with the basics would be my first point um i think also there's probably something about explaining that it is normal to feel sad or angry about certain things um which i'm sure people know but um kind of being able to kind of say when something goes from being a normal reaction to a stressful situation to being kind of a a mental health problem, yeah, I think that would be quite a, another good thing. Um, and trying to think how to put this succinctly, um, I guess alongside kind of that the basic stuff, how people can look after themselves when such things happen or when they're finding things very tricky so whether that be you know everyone says talk to someone or you know it's good to talk who are you going to talk to like literally actually thinking who who do I have around me that I would want to talk to what things make me feel better but also actually being able to be like how when is this too much for me like And so I think a lot of that self-awareness as well. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much to Dr. Samway for coming on the podcast. Please look out for future announcements and I'll see you next time.